a lot of property management agencies, I believe, crumble a little bit in their service because they're expanding too fast. Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Meet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I'm talking with Alex Hagen, the principal and co-founder of Caliber Real Estate Brisbane, as well as Daniel Gao, the BDM with this company. Caliber Real Estate Brisbane is a boutique real estate agency in Brisbane, Australia, that specializes in residential property management and sales. Alice is pretty active in the property management side of the business where she's run a BDM team. She's even jumped in to the BDM side of things when needed. And Daniel's a rising star working who started as a leasing specialist and is now killing it as a BDM. So as always, this is my jam to work with kind of both sides of the equation, both the operator, the strategist, the manager, the owner, the principal, as well as the tactician that is in there doing the work to actually grow the business. So in today's episode, you're going to learn how they work together to grow the company and how you can use some of these takeaways to improve your own business. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jordan. Alice and I are happy to be here. All right. Well, I'm excited to have you guys on. The connection was through Tara Bradbury, and Tara's colleague actually spoke at the PM Grow conference earlier this year. It was a, a pleasure to have her out there. Um, I always like to start here with an interview like this. In terms of background, how did you both wind up in the property management industry? Okay, so in 2009, my husband, Justin, and I launched Caliber Real Estate after we started to build our own portfolio in residential properties um, and we were just doing small developments and thought we should have our own entity to be able to manage and sell our own properties. But from there, friends and family approached us and um, wanted us to manage their own properties and sell their own properties. So we just grew our business model from there. Love it. Daniel, how about yourself? I haven't been working in real estate for obviously as long as Alice. I've only been in real estate for about three years. I started with Caliber obviously as a leasing assistant and kind of fell in with the company uh, about two years ago. From there, I have just grown into this BDM role. Uh, I've loved spending my time here at Caliber learning everything there is to learn about property management and real estate. From here on out, um, I'm, I'm looking to just grow as a, as a BDM here. Fantastic. So let's kind of fill out the parameters of the business. How many properties are you guys currently managing? We're currently managing 570 all around Southeast Queensland. And so the business is not solely focused on property management. You have a pretty sizable brokerage as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. We've got a separate office that does sales. So Alice, walk me through your day-to-day role managing the Caliber team. What does your average workday look like? Okay. So I give our team a lot of freedom to set their own work week um, to be able to achieve their own KPIs. But we do have a structured 
Monday weekly meeting that really sets off the tone for the week. It just gathers how everyone tracked for the previous week and how everyone's tracking for the current week ahead. In that so weekly meeting, we also have a weekly training session on relevant legislation and procedures. It just opens up for everyone to discuss if they've got any issues or anything to discuss. I also set a monthly keep, stop, start meeting with everyone individually so we can set goals for the month ahead and see how they're tracking. So that monthly cadence, that's kind of the, the cadence that you do one-on-one reviews. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yes. How long has the operation been in business for? Nine years. What have been the primary drivers of growth for Caliber? Primary drivers for us, we've been trying to grow our business as much as we can organically. So we've got a lot of clients that come to us because either they've had problems with their previous agencies or they've just heard our name out out and about and are looking to um, utilize our service to, to lease out and manage their properties. So the primary drivers of growth are obviously our clients. They come to us and we just look to service them as much as possible so that a lot of our business comes from referrals so that we can ensure that those clients that are happy with our services and are pleased with their results are able to refer us to their friends and family and colleagues. All right. So referrals is a great, super generic term that's like really difficult to drill down on, at least in such a way that it seems like it's something that's influenceable, something you control. So Daniel, how do you influence referrals? Are you just waiting for these to come in? Are there things that you do to actually solicit and generate them? Talk me through that. Once we bring on a client, um, you know, we spend maybe uh, two to four weeks with them getting their property ready, making sure it goes to market fine. We get tenants in there. Once that's all sorted, basically I work effectively with the property management department then to ensure that their property is well managed. And then from that point, I'll stay in touch with them. So it might be touch points for maybe one month, three months down the track, six months down the track, whatever it is, I'll stay in touch with them, check in on how they're doing and whether they're continuing to be happy with us. And from there, those conversations are generally what we can we can push forward to. Well, look, if you've got any other properties that you're thinking about purchasing, feel free to have a chat to us first and we can give you some information about what kind of rents you'd be expecting on those properties, as well as if you've got any, you know, any people that you'd like to refer to our service, um, we'd, we'd love to have them on board. How many properties do you think your average client owns? A lot of our properties are owned by um, mum and dad investors with maybe one to two properties. There are a number of clients in there, though, that are serial investors and do have that portfolio of, you know, four to six properties. They're the kind that we obviously we do get a bit of referrals from. But what I find is that the clients with only one or two, they're the ones that really do value that personal service quite highly. And the referrals are more likely to come from those ones, actually. Uh, have you guys made any attempts to try and influence the number of properties owned? Meaning, do you just try and drive awareness to let them know that if they want to buy one, you can help facilitate that? Or do you guys ever do anything to actually stimulate and to get a mom and pop owner, as you put it, to actually purchase another investment property? With the people that we do have currently on our books, our current clients, we do have a chat to them and we do offer that, you know, if you are looking to purchase another property, whether it be through Caliber or not, you know, it might not be a listing that Caliber has, it might be another listing that another the agency has we do let them know that look this is the part where you can engage us we can have a chat to you now about how we bring this property on to the market for rent and the kind of rental return that you can expect from this property as well as any kind of things that you can do to improve the property and get a higher rental income for people that are not current clients we also do have blogs online we've got a lot of written articles there um, that basically a bunch of guides to purchasing investment properties and setting up everything that comes along with uh, investment properties as well so 
those kind of guides are what we can send people to, just to give them that little bit of extra information and help them along the way uh, make any decisions that they need to about you know, whether they're going to purchase more and how they're going to go about doing that. So if you have a client that tells you that they want to sell one of their existing properties, will you do any coordination to try and put that in front of your existing set of clients? Definitely. So in every lease renewal situation, the clients, um, we ask them a question whether they want a sales appraisal or not. Then our team contacts the client to arrange that sales appraisal and then we do market to our own rent roll clients. All right. So what, what specifically does that look like? Do you have like a, an email list? And if so, what subset of your clients do you reach out to? I'd love to hear just like some specifics on how you market to them. Just a monthly market out and including all the properties that we have listed and letting them know the returns and the type of property it is. Oh, got it. Okay. So, so this is just like a monthly thing that you're doing kind of no matter what. And this is just a part of that cadence. Yes. yes. Yeah. Ah, okay. I love that. So guys, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is this concept of, of infinite supply and the shift from going from a supply economy to a demand economy, meaning that back in the day, if you wanted certain goods, you had to go to the vendor in order to get them. And therefore, it was the vendor that controlled the distribution and the terms on which those items would be sold. Now, in a million different areas, whether or not you're talking about renting a movie, listening to music, purchasing close. There are so many options that can give you instant results, infinite selection. So the concept of infinite supply is basically just acknowledging that in the mind of the consumer, true or not, the consumer tends to believe that they have many different options and therefore there's a tendency to commodify what used to be meaningful points of differentiation. So things like, hey, we've been in the business forever or, oh, we'll take the care of the property like it's our own. These things have less and less meaning for obvious reasons because there's 10 other shops that are making similar claims. In light of that, Alice, how do you think about the types of differentiation and the types of positioning for caliber that are still meaningful and that still actually resonate with potential clients? We built our business based on our own personal experience with other agencies. And so with that in mind, throughout every every day, really, and every time we relook at our business model, this is always the purpose of our business is how would we want to be treated and how do we want our property to be managed? So what we've done to differentiate ourselves as well is that our property management division is set up in a very unique way. It's We're not a task-based, we're not a portfolio-based, we're not a team-based property management agency. After trialling all these different, I guess they fashion different ways to manage uh, your property, after many years we've sought feedback from our clients and our team and we came up with more of a hybrid property management style approach and actually listening to our clients of how they want their property to be managed. So we've come up with a different way to manage properties to work with our team strengths. Within our business model, we have two senior property managers that manage their own properties because those clients with that property manager wants to be in contact with them continuously. However, then we've got another group of clients that don't mind that uh, more of a team-based approach where they just want to get the answers and anyone in that team can help. So we've just really changed the way by listening to our clients' feedback and our clients have really appreciated the change and 
we seem to have really great balance now in our office. We also market our property management listings as if they're our sales listings. So that entails a premium marketing package and the use of technology like the Matterport and other software that allows us to directly target potential tenants as well. So, yeah, we've just got a different approach. I know you're saying that everyone's saying that they've got a different approach, but I feel that we do in the way that we conduct business and don't just look at it as a real estate industry because prior to 2009, I did a forensic science degree and Justin was a licensed aircraft engineer for Qantas. So we've had such a different background and I think that really helps because we're not entrenched into the traditional business model. I couldn't agree more. I'm 100% with you and I want to hear a little bit more about that. So you're actually the second company that I interviewed. The last guest on the podcast articulated something similar and that doesn't take away from what you're you're saying. I'm actually really fascinated by it because I don't know that I've really heard that up to this point. The notion of embracing different management styles for subsets of your portfolio, if I was going to distill that down, I think what I hear you saying is that regardless of whether or not they're an accident, a landlord, a mom and pop, or an investor, certain people just want to be related to it in a certain way. Either they're more tolerant of departmentalization, they like always speaking to the specialist for a specific type of service need within the company, and then maybe other folks that always want to talk to the same person no matter what, even if their knowledge is a little bit more genericized. So how do you segment what client goes into what management style when you bring on a new client? Basically, what it comes down to, so like Alice was saying, you've got a pod-based scenario where you've got a team of three people looking after a large amount of properties. And then you've got a a portfolio system where you've got a single property manager looking after just one portfolio. And so how we differentiate those is basically just by asking the owners what they're after and what they, if they have experienced uh, property management with another agency prior to us, we like to find out the reasons why they're choosing Calibre or looking to change their property management agency. So what that might come down to is, okay, for instance, someone says that uh, every time they ring their current agency, they can't get a hold of their property manager because they're always out of routines and they can't speak to anyone. That kind of person is probably more looking for a team-based situation where they can call the office and regardless of whether that you know that senior property manager is out, there's going to be another staff member there that work with that, that team and they'll be able to actually talk to that landlord and, and answer questions and, and help them out with whatever they need. Sure, there may be some things that that senior property manager um, needs to chat to that owner about, But that kind of situation just gives them a chance to ring up and not simply leave a message and ask for a call back. That just allows a little bit more human connection instead of just being, I guess, a number to get back to. Sure. And any more color on the type of temperament or demographic amongst a client that biases them towards one approach versus the other? Have you noticed any common patterns? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to owner-occupied properties, they're, they're quite often the ones that are landlords that are for the first time or they've just you know, bought another property to move over into and they want to lease out their property. They do tend to fit more um, closely with the portfolio management. So owners that are, uh, are new to the game, of investment properties, they're the ones that do require that really personalized service and they're the ones that do really want to chat to just that one property manager that they can trust and they can continue a relationship with. When you're looking at owners with multiple investment properties, you know, they've, they've been doing it for a while now. They've tried out a few different property management agencies. 
they do know what they're looking for. So they're the kind of people that are okay with the team-based situation where they just want the results. They're not entirely focused on exactly who they're talking to. They just want to know that their properties are being managed effectively. The same also uh, works for interstate investors as well. The kind that know what they're doing because they're, they're, they've been looking at investment properties for a while. They've been in the property um, investment game for a little bit. And they're the ones who just want the results and to be able to call the office, find something out quick, and then that's the end of it. Totally makes sense to me. That sounds like a pretty logical progression. So folks that are a little bit more gun-shy want the hand-holding. They want to know that John Doe is always going to be there. It's a common thread throughout all interactions is the relational pore that has been built out over time. Folks that are a little bit more ruthless about just really being focused on efficiency and returns, they accept that departmentalization is kind of naturally where things head. Totally makes sense. Alice, the other thing that you mentioned was the property marketing component. Again, kind of hard to differentiate that, but you did mention Matterport. And I think we all know that that is kind of a gold standard moment of, of seriousness of commitment to actually producing a end result that is of a demonstrable quality difference for the end consumer that's actually looking at that listing. Any color on how it's gone using Matterport, how long have you been using it, what are the costs, who actually goes in and sets it up, do you have a third party do it, does your staff manage it, tell me more. So um, we purchased the Matterport in 2016 from the States and so we've, we own it outright. Um, one of our marketing coordinators has trained herself with it and goes out to the properties and, and conducts the floor plan. It's been really successful. We we had a property that was more of a higher end property, and the photos just didn't do it justice of how how the property was laid out. So we've conducted that Matterport, and a person that was living overseas um, couldn't get to um, Brisbane to view properties before they were moving over. So. The Matterport was a real life experience for them to be able to walk through the property and then accept the property as is. And we were able to do that, uh, all the paperwork, um, before they even arrived in Brisbane. So without that technology, that tenancy wouldn't have come to life. Hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. What I find is that it really standardizes the consumer experience because even with high quality photos, sometimes you're not sure if they're using a fisheye lens or if, if everything is being done on the up and up. Whereas that Matterport experience, you know, from unit to unit to unit, you know that it's pretty much going to look like that when you're physically present in the building. So in terms of the cost, do you mind me asking what that, that hardware, Matterport hardware cost? Uh, Australian dollars, it might be different now because they, they do have suppliers now in Australia, but in 2016 when we purchased, it was roughly around 8000 Australian dollars to arrive in Australia. So was that a little bit of a, a leap of faith or was that just an obvious sort of thing and you were, you were just kind of you know waiting for to have access to a tool like that? Yeah, just progression with trying to differentiate ourselves as well as providing the, the best way to be able to, you know, we're, we're always trying to reduce days on market and to increase our audience. So it was just a natural progression that became available. What are the average rents in your area? Overall, the whole portfolio that we manage is probably around 500 weekly rent, but we manage yeah, from all of southeast Queensland, so we do manage a huge demographic. It's quite spread out. So we do, yeah, we do have a lot of properties that are under that, but we do have a lot that are over as well in the more premium areas. Servicing the whole of Brisbane allows us to access those those higher end um, suburbs as well. So 
it's not um, 500 is probably where it averages out to. And so will you do the Matterport process for every listing or only for higher end listings? Uh, for listings that we think we need to, at the moment, we just don't have the manpower to do it on every single listing. Ideally, that's what we'd want to do. But we've got the Matterport in the office, so yeah, technically that could be the, the next step. Mm-hmm. I guess what it comes down to, Jordan, is that, um, you know, if we've got a property that we bring on, on, on board and um, maybe the layout's just a little bit different and then the photos just aren't doing it justice, that Matterport is where it can come in handy. You mentioned before that uh, we're looking at a market of oversupply. So a lot of tenants are actually coming from interstate or from overseas. And anyone that has moved interstate or overseas and tried to rent a property will tell you that they've contacted a number of agents and they've told them that they need to inspect the property in person before anything will go any further or any applications will be approved. Obviously, that's impossible. Um, so what the Matterport allows us to do is let people basically have those virtual inspections and see the property in its entirety and then be able to make that decision as to whether it suits them. So, you know, it, it allows us access to all those interstate tenants as well that want to move interstate. And that's just an extra service to our landlords. What percentage of listings do you think you do the Matterport process for? Uh, maybe like 10%. Okay. Interesting. All right. So moving on to talk a little bit about the growth side of the business. Let's talk metrics, KPIs. Daniel, how do you know that you're doing a good job in your job? How do you ever have that assurance? What does that look like other than just a warm feeling in in your heart? (laughs) The warm feeling is definitely there. But look, Jordan, it comes down to to having figures all in place. We've all got, you know, our KPIs set. And as long as you know what they are and you're trying to stick to them and achieve them and trying to push them. If we're talking about growth, we're trying to not only, you know, achieve those KPIs. So if you have KPIs of maybe bringing on, say, eight new properties a month or 10 new properties a month, I think the most important thing to consider is that, yeah, you're, you're reaching to achieve those. But, you know, as you get better at the role and as you maybe hire new staff or um, improve procedures to make them more effective, you're looking at trying to build that number and, and build those KPIs higher each time, each month. What are the KPIs that are relevant for you guys that you feel like are actually meaningful? Okay, cool. So the really meaningful ones for a BDM department, obviously, are the number of properties, but not just the number of properties. If you bring on five properties and they're worth $350 each, and then you bring on one property that's worth $1,000, you're almost making that same amount of money off that, that one property. So it's not only the amount of properties that you're bringing in that you need to, you know, take account for. For me personally, I try and look to more premium properties as well because what they ultimately give us is a better service to our clients because it frees up a little bit more of our time than, you know, a number of uh, cheaper properties. It also allows us to basically build our income just a little bit higher so that we have the potential to, for instance, hire more staff and implement procedures that will improve the, the client process. Let's talk about discounting. How much leeway do you have and what do you do to resist caving on price? Jordan, we actually don't discount our properties. We don't discount our, our management fees. It's, it's that simple. When we look at other property management agencies, we are definitely not the cheapest around, and we know that. But the reason that we charge the amount that we do is because we know that we're worth it. If we're sitting down with a landlord and going through our, our full procedure of how we do things, we're definitely able to convey that we are definitely worth it. Awesome. So I love that you're coming from that position of strength. Can you just kind of talk me through what that does for you psychologically to know that those are the defined parameters and to know that there there are no exits, your back's against the wall, however you want to put it. How do, how do you feel like that psychology of knowing that you cannot discount affects 
how you relate to that conversation. When you know that you're worth the money that you're charging and when you set yourself a rule of that's it, we're, we're not reducing that fee because we are worth it, the psychological impacts are really positive. So if I brought on a property you know, in my early days and, and, and we've dropped the fees that we're charging, it feels like we're doing a lot of work. We're not getting substantial payment for it. Sort of, it's only just kind of just breaking even, just covering itself. And you know, when you when you discount your services, you're kind of discounting your worth. You're discounting the, I guess, the confidence you have in, in yourself. So, yeah, for psychological impacts, to be able to say that this is our fee, we don't reduce it. Would you like to sign with us or not? It's very beneficial because you just feel a little bit more empowered knowing that you know people are willing to pay that amount if you can prove that your services are worth it. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And obviously, it's a qualification piece as well. Do you feel like oftentimes if the conversation devolves on the basis of discounting that you're essentially allowing the, the client to make the choice that you would that you eventually may have had to make for them, meaning that this it just isn't going to be a fit long term? Exactly. Yeah. Look, if the, in my experience, if, if I've come across an owner who's um, heavily talking about discounting, chances are down the track, they're going to be a little bit harder to, to, to manage. They're going to, you know, that discount is always going to be in the back of their mind. A lease renewal might come up down the track and they'll want to waive the lease renewal fee. When you're dealing with owners and you set, you set your standards initially and say that, you know, these are the fees they don't, we're not discounting these, then that expectation of service is there. And as long as you continue to provide that, then those, those owners are generally happy to continue paying that, that service fee. I guess the conversation that I have with a lot of landlords is that, you know, when you're talking property management, people try and discount fees by maybe, you know, 1% to 2%. If you're looking at a $400 a week property and someone tries to talk you down 1% each week, that's like $4. It's a cup of coffee each week. And it doesn't sound like much for an agency to pay. But when you times that by, you know, 52 weeks a year and times that by 150 properties, you're looking at a substantial amount of money. And that amount of money is the kind of money that you use to employ another person. And that's where I think a lot of other agencies can suffer is that they reduce their fees. And what that does is it's not just about reducing the fee on that single property. It's about reducing the total income over a portfolio. And it may not be enough to hire that extra staff member when you grow your business. And as such, a lot of businesses, a lot of property management agencies, I believe, crumble a little bit in their service because they're expanding too fast and not having the income to hire the extra people to deal with that. Man, preach it, brother. I am so with you. So for those of you at home with a pencil and paper in front of you, I want you to do some quick math. I want to just think about an example scenario, a property management business. Let's say they're doing $400,000 in annual revenue. They're at 12% profitability, and they're charging an average of an 8% management fee. So we have to assume what percentage of their overall revenue comes from the management fee versus other ancillary fees. Let's assume 65% of their overall revenue, 65% of that 400K comes from management fee revenue. So the question that I have with that kind of a scenario, and I realize it's, it's hard to just hear audibly, but you can write this down, do the math to tell me if I'm wrong. But the, the math on this is that for a company like that at 12% profitability, they're going to be making around $48,000 in profit. If they were to increase their management fee by 0.5% or put another way, if they were to fight and not reduce from 85 to 8% consistently, that half point in the scenario that I described is a difference of 29% in overall profit. So 12 
percent profit versus 15.4 percent profit. Think about that. Think about the long-term implications of doing the math. If you knew, you could essentially have a 30% bump in profit by holding your ground on a half point in the management fee. Would it make a difference in how you would relate to actually fighting over that and for defending what you're worth? And if nothing else, long-term for becoming valuable enough to actually charge that much. There's so much that's wrapped up in the pricing beyond just the dollars. Like it's easy to simplify it in the context of a conversation with a client as if it doesn't doesn't matter all that much, but long term your your margins really are your destiny. If you're not making much money, you can't provide much service. It's pretty inescapable. Yeah, I think you're on point with that, Jordan. And like I like to say, real estate we're not in the real estate industry, we're in the service industry and service is a really hard thing to sell. You know, it's intangible. One of these things that you've you got to look at is, yeah, like you said, that extra money that you're making. If you're not making that extra money as your business grows, then your service is what's going to fall down. And that, nine times out of ten, is going to be your strongest point of difference, not for the initial conversation with you know potential landlords, but for your current existing ones. That's the reason why they stay. You've got all these different aspects of your business, which you, you mark as the reason that people come on board with you. But the reason that people stay is because of your service. And if you're going to grow your business and you're not going to, you know, increase your revenue enough to continue that exemplary service, then people are going to leave. And it's that simple. So let's talk a little bit about scaling challenges. Alice, you in particular, what do you see changing as the business grows? Do you guys have any any clear growth goals over the next three to five years? What does that look like? And, and what do you think is going to need to shift in the business in order to make that transition happen? So I say there's a lot of external factors as well in the, the industry. There will be disruptors in every service industry, but our point of difference is the human element. So we need to, as Daniel's discussed, customer service is our number one differentiation between our traditional business model um, competitors as well as the disruptors that will come in the future. So we need to work out how to future-proof our business as well and to continually evolve with the technology but also maintain that high personal customer service approach as well. So how do you gauge customer satisfaction? Do you guys do NPS scores? Do you look at churn? How do you keep a read on that? We, we use um, a customer monitor system but we're looking at um, implementing NPS because it's very hard with property management to, we've got KPIs but we need to look externally for our KPIs. So we've looked at the NPS model and it works amazingly um, to individualize the scores for each team member. So we're looking at implementing NPS this year. Um, we're currently using a different system that tracks external performance. What does reputation management look like in Australia? This isn't something I've really looked into. Where do people leave reviews for businesses like y'all's and how much of an impact does it have in your business? Australia is an interesting country. We all seem to have iPhones and we all seem to stick to the one the one thing. We can't have multiple options going at the same time. So there are a lot of different review sites out there, but Google is the number one review site for our industry. Like I said before, when we touch base to ask for referrals, we're also looking to make sure that, um, you know, if we've got satisfied customers that they are leaving those reviews on Google. You know, the reason for that is twofold. Obviously, you know, Google with all its algorithms, we want to make sure that it's putting us basically on the first page at the top as much as possible um, based on, you know, having a lot of positive reviews. 
there seems to be a bit of a trend in Australia where we don't we don't seem to use every review site out there um, as as customers and clients. So Google reviews is the number one go to. So guys, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the interview. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I really just want to get guttural answers from the both of you. We do this in every interview and the questions are always a little bit different, but Alice, I'm going to start with you. Alice, in your opinion, what's the most underrated skill set in managing and leading a team? I think just being able to be flexible and not micromanaging. Trust is probably a very underutilized skill. So recruit well and let folks actually do their job. Yes. Provide the training and support and let people just just be and grow. Daniel, what is the most frequent objection that you hear from prospects and what's your reply? The most frequent objection is actually, um, again, the fees, which, you know, I've, I've sort of touched on how we, how we deal with that. But also for owners that are currently occupying their homes and are moving out, Obviously, anyone that's dealt with any kind of property management before understands um, the, the concept of, of entry condition reports and exit condition reports. And we actually quite often, and this is something that we're, we're sort of combating at the moment, is having landlords that uh, move out of their properties and clean it themselves. But, you know, everyone's opinion of clean is a little bit different. So when you're dealing with people that, you know, don't want to pay for that extra professional cleaning because it's cleaned already, that's always a challenge and that's something that we have to get over because once the tenants move in there, if it's not, you know, up to, you know, perfect scratch, then the tenants aren't going to leave it up to perfect scratch either. All right. So a little bit of nuance there. That totally makes sense. Alice, who do you learn from? Um, I've got some advisors in the the industry and I wish I found them. Oh, I did actually find them quite early on, which has really helped. So in Queensland, Stacey Holt is one of the most amazing advisors um, that I've come across and she provides all the policies and procedures and the templates just to help so we don't have to be creating our own because we're an independent you know a lot of the franchises have all those um, there but being an independent that has really helped and she's she provides ongoing advice for us whenever we have um, an interesting situation Um, and then Tara Bradbury for BDM training. Awesome Daniel what books have impacted you the most? Uh, okay, so there's two books at the moment that I've uh, recently read, which I personally just loved. The first one is uh, about communication. This one I actually found on Alice's desk. And this one basically related a conversation with potential clients as a, a game of tennis. I don't know if you've heard that analogy before, Jordan, but it basically, it basically says that you've got a message that you want to get across to your client. If you just blurt it out there and, and get it out there and, and slam it in their face, it's like it's like an ace. It's like serving an ace in tennis. You can serve it, it's done, but the person you're engaging with is probably just going to stand there looking a little bit confused as to what just happened. It challenges that 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 concept and and says that you need to kind of um, not deliver everything straight at once and keep everything going like a rally. A conversation needs to be between two people, not just between one. And I found that that kind of analogy through that book really 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 helpful what's the name of the book i'll have to look it up for you jordan and then message it through to you fair enough <laughs> i read it a few months ago the other one that uh really made an impact on me was actually um the book from the wolf of wall street and it's called straight line selling but that basically goes through the process that um jordan belford taught his taught all of his um 
stuff that when he went, when he went through the big Wolf of Wall Street phase about straight line selling. How if you've got, you know, imagine, imagine a line and at the, at the beginning of the line you, you write the number one and at the end of the line you write the number 10. Somewhere in the middle there is five. And basically the idea was that people don't buy into you for your service, they buy into you for you. And you need to connect with these people and, and, and gauge them when you first initially meet them on basically how well they like you. And if they're sitting at about a five, you need to try and engage with them, earn their trust, build up some rapport until you move them along that line. And if you try and close a deal with them and they're sitting at below a seven, it's just not going to happen. It's going to be case closed. You need to get them right up to the eight, nines and tens uh, in, in terms of you know how much they trust you and value your opinion and how much they connect with you before you can close any kind of business. Otherwise, they're just going to you know shut the book and, and not return. So that's straight line selling, the art of persuasion. Love it. All right. So we'll link up to both of these. I'm 100% with you on building rapport and using trust as the ultimate yardstick that really is where all logical decisions ultimately flow from. Alice, what's the number one thing that you see property management entrepreneurs BSing about? Where do you see folks just kind of blowing smoke when you're at an event, you're networking and folks are just kind of maybe throwing out some stats that you kind of you kind of question? Where would you be most likely to call BS if you had a magic wand and you could just kind of see under the curtain of every company within the industry? I think that applies to nearly every company. It doesn't have to be real estate, doesn't it? Uh, that's a tricky one because a lot of the numbers, people can just say numbers, but, um, you know, if you actually look at their books, it's not the way it's done. It's a tricky one, Jordan. Everyone's, everyone reads all these articles and, and statistics about how the industry is doing. One such thing is that, um, you know, in Brisbane particularly, we have a massive oversupply of units. Although we have a massive oversupply of units, developers are still building them. Uh, the influx of people moving up to Brisbane from maybe Melbourne or Sydney, it hasn't arrived as fast as we'd expect. So there's a lot of units that people have bought as investment properties that are now sitting vacant or taking a long time to lease out. The BS in that is that I guess, you know, if you had your magic wand and you could wave it around and just point it at anything, is that, you know, if you buy an investment property, that's it. It's going to be rented and it's going to be a quick process and you're going to have a tenant in there forever. There's a lot of things that go into managing properties and there's a lot of things that investment owners need to think about when they purchase a property. You know, it's not just buying a property and then receiving a rental income and hoping that your rental income is more than your mortgage. There's a lot of other things to consider. So I guess, yeah, in terms of waving the BS wand, you could look at it being a simple process. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, a couple of months of a vacant unit will mess with any cash flow analysis pretty quickly. What's the average time on market that you guys see in your area? Uh, in our area, it can be around the three to four week mark, um, but we try to aim under two. Awesome. Final question of the interview. Daniel, in your opinion, what's the difference between a good BDM and a great BDM? Uh, I guess the difference between a good BDM and a great BDM is, look, there's so many things that that we can learn uh, as a BDM. You know, you've got a number of different training events to go to. You've got a number of different trainers to learn from. In the end of the day, and this is something that, you know, as a, as a starting BDM, it's, it's not something that you really... Uh, see examples of in your own work and, until down the track, but you just need to put in the work. And that's probably the one thing that I guess if, if there was any piece of advice to offer the future BDMs, it would be that you need to put in the work. You need to call people. You need to grow your pipeline of people that are coming into the business that you're talking to. 
it's not until you have a, I guess, a down week or a down month where you didn't pull in a lot of business that you realize the reason for that is because you didn't do a lot of work last month. Mm, love it. Keyword pipeline. This invisible thing that kind of determines your future. I love that you brought that up. All right, I lied. Final, final question of the interview. Alice, what does a well-run meeting look like to you? Start with the agenda in mind. Um, address what you're going to discuss and go through the points there. Leave space to be quiet yeah. and let the other person talk as well. Be interested, not interesting. And provide knowledge and and your expert opinion. Have a plan. Listen, go and prepare it. I love it. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. If folks want to learn a little bit more about Calibre, about the business, about what you guys are up to, what's the best place for them to go? To our website, which is caliberrealestate.com.au or find us on any social media channel. Love it. Thanks for taking the time, guys. Let's stay in touch. And next time I'm over in your neck of the woods, let's uh, let's break bread. Thanks, Jordan. Look forward to it, Jordan. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show. And the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group where we mastermind with the best in the industry.